0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 135th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG. I'm the CEO of the Atlas Society. We are the leading nonprofit organization introducing young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in fun, creative ways, like graphic novels, of course, and animated videos. Uh, Before we even begin, I want to thank Our sponsor for this episode, Christiane Monkholm. She is a scientist and an author of the book Atlas Decrypted, which takes readers on a journey through her forensic investigation of Ram's famous novel, sharing key clues and insightful conclusions based on her decades of research and analysis. You'll find more information about our sponsor, in the description section of this video and a link to purchase her book so thank you christiane all right today we are joined by rapic and comic book entrepreneur eric july before i even get into introducing our special guest today i want to remind all of you who are watching us on zoom on facebook on instagram twitter linkedin youtube Go ahead, use the comment section to type in your questions. We will get to as many of them as we can. So the main attraction today, Eric D. July, he burst onto the comic book scene, launching his own comic book brand, The Ripiverse, which scored an astounding $3 million in pre-sales of his first book, which I have here. Uh, The book introduces an African-American hero fighting for truth, justice, and freedom. Eric is also a rapper and popular YouTube creator uh, who co-founded Being Libertarian to build community of liberty-minded people on a mission to spread liberty, speak out against nonsense, and work towards a more free and prosperous society. I love that mission. Eric, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you guys so much for uh, certainly having me. here. I'm happy to be here.
0: So uh, we'd love to start with our guests' origin stories. And you have a particularly interesting one. I understand you've um, had some real challenges, including getting swept up early in life and in gangs and even uh, being shot. Can you talk a lot, little bit about uh, growing up, some of what happened and how you got away from, from that lifestyle?
1: Yeah, um, it was. uh, I mean, it was so standard. It's crazy to look back at it now, um, the way that I kind of grew up and how kind of standard it was that even to this day, it's kind of mind boggling that, you know, that was a thing that me of all people were were certainly in. But to your point, yeah, I was a knucklehead uh, growing up. uh, Certainly, you know, one of those young, you know, folk that was not just necessarily terrorizing like their own communities, but, you know, I was more so I wouldn't like drugs or anything that, It like that I was into. It was more of just, you know, getting into it with rival cliques uh, and whatnot. And it was such a silly thing to kind of be doing, certainly in my latter half of my high school days. But, you know, that stuff started to impact you know, people around you, you know, um, and that's when I kind of the, the wake up call for me. It's one thing for myself to get threatened at school or someone to try to jump me at at, at school. But, you know, when you get people caught in the crosshairs kind of there across fire, uh, I mean, both liter- literally and metaphorically speaking, it's one of those things that became kind of a wake up call for me. Now, I my ticket out of kind of which I needed to getting out of Dallas was my legs. I was a track and field athlete, a, a very very good one, and that was my ticket out. I ended up going to the University of Memphis right out of uh, out of um high school and then of course finishing my collegiate career at Texas A&M uh, University in Corpus Christi. So, it was um certainly a long a long time coming, um but it could have went a different way certainly. And uh thankfully with with sports that was my ticket out and I had a a lot of growth both spiritually Uh, economically, you name it, philosophically, uh, going into, you know, 18, 19, 20, certainly uh, years of age, and um, I couldn't be any more opposite of what I was uh, as a knucklehead growing up in comparison to who I am now.
0: Uh, And also politically, right? You you entered politics with uh, more of a far left uh, perspective, and maybe talk a little bit about that evolution whether there were any particular writers or people that influenced you in that journey
1: a hundred percent like that's um you know i was again run of the mill leftist everybody kind of where i was from certainly in part of my family that's just even if you don't know that's what it is that you are that's just kind of what you grew up uh believing in that supporting democrats especially and what have you and of course as a college know-it-all i thought that i knew it all wrongfully assume that i did and i remember used to definitely when i was in memphis that was really my first big time kind of seeing uh, so many different cultures right uh, kind of concentrated in one place and you know i'm gonna be completely honest what what got me to learn more about economics and the political kind of end of the spectrum was uh being shamed out of my positions and i say that by way of losing arguments not even joking you know, oftentimes, and the young people will certainly feel me on this, you think that you know everything. And, you know, you come across people that are clearly clearly more equipped than you are to have these sort of conversations. And in order to not feel bad about entering into conversations, having not known what I was talking about, I wanted to get more knowledgeable on some of these, uh, these issues, per se. Now, economics was something that was one of the I guess subjects that was not one of that was certainly the subject that got me into uh, a different line of thinking right but even when I was still in my box growing up I wanted to learn more about like hey what are the black economists saying and um, what are their perspectives thankfully I I led to the uh, I I ran into the likes of uh, both Dr. Thomas Sowell as well as Dr. Walter E. Williams and it completely changed my life like in an instance, it's uh definitely reading books like Basic Economics by the great Thomas Sowell, understanding uh, what what Walt E. Williams was trying to uh, rest in peace, was trying to relay with concepts and documentaries, be it the state against blacks and all of that. And that led me into, again, other schools of thought as well. You know, coming from that you had soul and more Chicago stuff that leads into freedmen and and then you. You know, take that. And next thing you know, you're reading more Aust- Austrian uh, economics and uh, the likes of the Rothbard's of the world. And that kind of just uh, it, it was no turning around from there. And just uh, valuing liberty was something that I I put first and foremost in everything it is that that I do. So that was kind of my my political uh, uh, growth there. It started certainly with economics.
0: Well, you know, I think maybe there is a lesson in there because. The Atlas Society works with a lot of young people uh, who feel very outnumbered as objectivists and as libertarians and conservatives on campus. And sometimes it's tempting to despair and say, well, I'm not even going to try to debate. But hey, somebody debated with you. I don't know if it was a fellow student or a teacher and uh, got you started on a path to become uh, one of the most successful um, libertarian graphic novel uh, artists comic book artists and uh, the the number of people that you're you are influencing with your artistic uh, over is uh is going to be even uh, more exponential so don't give up I guess that's that would be the message um now but before you started on your comic book uh, career you helped Form a band called Backwards in 2014, uh, which has been described as some as the libertarian rage against the machine. So, can you tell us a little bit about that, how you got into, um, into music, and perhaps a, a bit about the power of using art to help connect people to good ideas?
1: That was first, first and foremost, music has been, and I will just preface it by saying this I would say my greatest vehicle. Um, aside from what I'm doing right now with the Ripperverse stuff, my first big kind of uh, hopping on the scene and really being able to reach people and resonate with them with this message of liberty, it was with music. one One thousand percent. But, you know, I started I, I, I've been a musician for as long as I was definitely when I was banging. But it was more like, you know, rap stuff, basically, is what, what it was. And I had my mother was. You know she listened to other things and 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 that was all cool and dandy. And it's not like I never liked metal or I didn't like like hardcore rock-based, hard rock-based music. Oh, I actually loved it. It's just that I was never in an environment that I was going to be able to like perform that and be taken serious. That's just a reality. It wasn't until I got to college, uh, more so when I was in AM corpus, linking up with uh some friends, people that I'm for sure friends with to this day, which gave me that kind of outlet to express. And that was, you know, we. I was started in like more of the metal core scene. And I was back when like metalcore kind of used, everybody used to have keyboardists as like uh, part of their metalcore groups. And that's what that was my kind of ticket in because I could play piano. And that turned into, um, you know, I was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a solid vocalist as far as a singer. Um, Let's give it a shot and, and doing like covers. So that was my first kind of uh, introduction to like performing the art. Of of like metal music yelling at the top of my lungs and doing all that in, in, in front of a audience was with my own individual youtube and you know i had a lot of growth with that and that got me discovered by my previous band uh fire from the gods and once i left that we formed backwards which obviously that took everything to the next stratosphere which is hilarious because you know if you read for people that you know because obviously that oh my old band is still going but if you remember that, for those of those that that listened to that EP that we had dropped when I was in it, like you see some of the song names, like the Capitalist, right, and <laughs> and songs like Succeed and and some of these the, the the song titles, and you listen to what it was that I was saying, that was back in like 2011, like you know that was that was pretty early in the 2010s. Uh, I was already doing that, but backwards. What it was, it was like obviously it was I was it wasn't like I was entering into a band. It was I was forming this sort of band. And we kind of made it abundantly clear. This is, we're going to be who we are unapologetically. And we're going to have some uh, pushback because, well, we're surrounded by people that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, but we're going to do it. And we did it. And the audience responded, obviously that first, you know, album, Veracity, you know, number one, alternative new artist, number two, heat grab album on billboards. Obviously, We came out, we came out swinging. And, uh, but you know, I- I've always, my approach with music has been, Look, if I get on stage, it doesn't matter if I'm performing for 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, however much. I believe that there's something that I can leave with those people, and it may not be a seed that is planted that will grow that, at that given moment, but maybe it's, it, it's something that they heard me say whether it be on the stage in a song or something. And then that manifests itself uh, into something else. And that gets that person thinking maybe differently than what they came uh, into it. Certainly before they were introduced to myself or, or the band. And I would say for sure, that the, my greatest vehicle had been that band and been that music as far as touching people because it's just different from a lecture it's different from oh, that yeah. it, it, it's it's like you're res you're meeting that person where they're at right they like they like the metal because they like the singing with the mix with the screaming and all they like that stuff and so I've already broken that communicative like ice barrier with them just by simply playing music now granted we, we have some talented music musicians in our band. So the music itself was good. That was most important. But then when you added what it is that we believed in to it, you know, it, it, if I could plant that seed, which we had, uh, that'd been my vehicle for as long as it had. It still is. People are, w- are waiting for that second album and I can't wait to get it to them. But I mean, you'd be just surprised. Just I would argue that, In comparison to what I was doing before, like maybe the arguments and the debates and all that stuff, not to say that it wasn't worthwhile, it absolutely was, but I I know that I've touched more people uh, with this message of liberty with music than I had doing anything prior.
0: Well, I I don't know uh, if you've yet gone on your Ayn Rand journey, um, because a bit of what you're talking about reminds me of Howard Work in in The Fountainhead, which is... First and foremost, it's a novel of an artist, of a creator who is independent and isn't, you know, um, looking for the validation uh, of others. Um, And, of course, Ayn Rand talked about art as the ideal medium uh, for the communication of a moral ideal. And she talked about music in particular uh, as an artistic vehicle for really projecting a certain kind of sense of life. Yeah. Um, you know, whether your sense of life is all about fear and resentment and, uh, you know, victimhood, or whether it's about, Hey, the world is open to us. We can create something beautiful, uh, and that we are capable of achieving great things. And, and that I think is the, uh, the kind of sense of life that, um, she found in music that that resonated with her. Now, I wanna remind uh, those of you who are watching, I see the questions already piling up, so don't delay, get in there, start uh, typing in your questions. I am gonna get to them. But of course, I really wanna hear about your uh, comic book journey and how it got started. Of course, uh, your new comic, I'd like to hear without You know, any spoiler alerts, maybe getting to a little bit about the story itself um, and the incredible story of how you funded this enterprise um, and uh, the reaction to it. I mean, I know you're right in the thick of getting mailing out, uh, you know, the uh, the copies. So take it away.
1: Yeah. So obviously the Ripperverse was something that I I did not think that I was going to be able to pull off at such a a young age, like being completely honest. Like I was, you know, I I like comic books, something that people that are kind of comic book guys, you like everybody wants to be able to write for the big dogs or do something like that. And I would think that, yeah, maybe I have that chance, but it's not going to be until I'm willing in my like, you know, 40s that I'm going to even even have a shot at doing something like that because it's going to take a lot of work. And thanks to the, you know, we go back to the music and everything, the commentary, everything that I did, it allowed me to have stored away a bunch of money um, so I can make this happen. And considering that, let's say, American comic books and graphic novels aren't in the best spot right now, uh, uh, as far as, like, who leads the charge with the big two, for example, in American, like, superhero comic books, it was the, it, it wouldn't have been a better time than right now. Just period. It it would not have been a better time. I had to get out there and go do that um, and and make sure that I did it the right way. And I launched a Ripperverse. I funded it, you know, put in like a couple hundred thousand dollars of my own money and getting uh, the great Cliff Richards and Gabe El Taib to do the artwork uh, that are part of it. And they, I mean, we just, I wrote everything. So, you know, it's not only the company that I launched, but I did write the actual book. And those guys were industry veterans. They had done work for DC and Marvel. And those guys were incredible. And to work with them and to be able to make that happen. Now, yeah, I expected to see some level of success. But no, I did not expect to make $3.7 million. Uh, That was never the expectation. Uh, It just goes to show that the demand was certainly there and uh, Isom itself is kind of this brainchild here because – I had had the big universe bible that I was building up. I did all this, and he was one of the first characters, actually the first character that it is that I created. And his design is purposely the way that it is. It's more simple, it's more uh, uh, sleek, and it you can at least identify it if you are like an old school guy, like comic guy. But it has that level of originality that can introduce people that maybe are just wanting to get into this sort of stuff. So I saw him, the story itself. It, it, we had a it was difficult because it wasn't just about launching him and the character it was about launching the entire universe right because that's one of our my main talking points if you read the reverse code of ethics and that you know the whole continuity and this expansive universe so i wasn't just launching him i had to launch this universe so i had to introduce other cool characters as well and i think we found the happy medium but it's about of course isom uh the character of avery sealman who Lives out on his own ranch. He used to be an actual superhero, of course, by the name of Isom. And what he had ended up doing, uh, there was a a tragic event that we will be, of course, expanding on later that caused him to kind of hang it up. He didn't want to do that. He lives in his own ranch now uh, doing this kind of self-sufficient kind of life uh, of his. But they have a, a, a mutual kind of, let's say, family friend who goes uh missing that of course the sister of Avery wants him to go check it out because the last that sh- of her whereabouts was uh with in connection to one of uh, Avery's old old friends from back in the day so that kind of sends him on this journey of running into so many different issues <laughs> running into other characters because he's having to go back into this city so it's one of those things that if you want to get into a new like comic book universe or the creator of it doesn't hate you Uh, i think the Ripperverse and i sum number one is a great starting point
0: well we can certainly attest to the high demand for different kind of graphic novel different kind of comic book at the atlas society where we've now published uh two graphic novels anthem and red pawn coming out with uh top secret this year And uh, we have distributed over 70,000 copies of graphic novels last year at Comic-Cons and at student conferences. And, you know, so I love that uh, there that more people are entering into this space. And um, now previously to launching uh, the universe, the Ripiverse, you were doing comic book commentary. Is that right? And did you identify what were some of the problems And, you know, what did you hope to kind of offer as an alternative to what you were seeing in the comic book space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was a commentator and I was, man, I mean, talking about having a pull list, reading all of these books every day uh, or every day doing content on this on my channel and having a long, extensive pull list. This was something that was massive. And I, I... everybody saw the problem going into like the mid 2010s where you had people that were writing these books that didn't seem to care about the characters at all. They had their own individual personal, like leftist agendas that didn't really seem to fit in the eyes of, uh, uh, like not even fit in the characters or less about what politics and comics, it was less about that and more. There was zero balance. Um, and you had audiences being beat over the head with these, with these personal agendas, that just didn't really fit the stories of these characters. So it wasn't just about politics per se. There was canon and continuity issues as well, where you had different versions of characters nobody cared about. It was difficult if a difficult, very difficult to keep up with some of people's favorite characters. So there was just an opening in this market. Um, here and yeah we knew when we entered definitely me as a commentator i knew when i entered i was going to get as much pushback as anybody probably had had endured in this industry and holy snaps you'd be surprised i mean i've i've look as a commentator you get people that are going to argue with you debate you dispute and all that stuff but i have not gotten anything that is even remotely close to the level of kickback that i've got starting my own company in comparison to anything that I've done. And I think it's because of what was on the line, right? Because what we did was not just about us making a lot of money. It was also, we weren't going through what they deemed as the proper channels, right? So this is a completely, for people that don't know, this is a completely independent project. So not only do we publish our own work, we distribute it, right? And, And for those that don't know, you had companies like, diamond for example who basically distributes everybody's stuff that kind of changed after 2020 uh where you had like penguin random house entered into this space as well as lunar but for the longest it was just one company that basically distributed everybody's work whereas the we were like yeah we're gonna rely on just directly instead of selling the retailers we're gonna sell directly to the customers uh so our, our sales are gonna be a lot more honest because you know with the grimy stuff that kind of happens. And let me say this, the numbers with comic books, American comic books, the sales numbers are kind of eh, iffy because nobody actually knows those into, into the hands of customers. Oftentimes it's like, well, it was an incentive variant and it's just sitting on a shelf at a retailer. Um, and no, no customer ever actually bought it. So with us, we were like, well, we don't answer to anybody other than our customers. So that's who we're going to sell to. So it's a lot on the line because it shows, people how broken the system is in itself from economic from an economic standpoint not just the content and because i'm one of they deem folks like myself as one of the enemies well you're going to get a lot of pushback doing what it is that that we are doing so that's kind of what it was
0: all right well we've got quite a few questions here uh one from our friend connie keller asking uh how do you traverse the accusations of those who claim you're not black enough or what does that even mean and do you get that
1: uh yeah i mean anybody that does anything that is remotely not leftist right that, let me say this that is the appropriate position that you are able to have and your blackness will never be questioned if i was a run-of-the-mill leftist no at no point would I ever be questioned in terms of me being a black person? Now, in the event that you do what it is that I do, or you have positions it is that I have that they deem is antithetical to what it is they believe. Unfortunately, they've tied blackness to that. So yeah, you're going to get weirdos that call you out of your name, right? They're going to basically associate your name with things that mean lesser than lesser than black. You're a lesser than black, black person. Um, because unfortunately to them, leftism, I guess is what it means to be black and Mm -hmm. anything outside of that is a problem, it's not anything that bothers me to like a other degree that I I could see, um, you, you look, man, when you enter in any industry like this and you see a level of success, you have to expect that there's going to be people that work overtime to try to get you off of your game. Um, but I can handle it. That's my upbringing kind of, (laughs) uh, you know, lends itself to that. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it um at all it's just what has to happen you know what I mean and it's unfortunate I'm way smarter than these guys that are obviously calling me these names but I can deal with it at the end of the day it's about the the, what it is that I believe in and who who it is that I am and I know that it's generally just some idiotic goofball that's just saying something being completely silly in the event that they call me out of my name simply because I um you know, I, I I have a position Descent from the
0: like, yeah. proof narrative. Well, yeah. we may have taken uh, care of this next question, but I had to fit it in because it's Alex Temmer on Facebook saying that he loves everything that you do, Eric, uh, and he questions how do you keep up a positive mindset with all the haters that come after you regarding ISOM? and maybe it's just kind of knowing where you came from and being yeah, confident.
1: That's part of it, no, no no what I like I mean, I worked incredibly hard to get where it is that I am, and you know the 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 audience response is huge, okay um I, I that's what I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for my customers, so you know it's it's very easy for me to just continue to do what it is that I'm doing when I don't answer to these guys, right, often the people that are going to call me the ugly names and try to get me off of the game. Uh, concern troll, do all the weird stuff to try to suggest that you're not legitimate because you didn't do it the way they would do it if they had the access to uh, the resources that you did. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for an actual willing paying customer. And they've responded right. This isn't we can't even speak in hypothetical anymore because, you know, we sold over 60,000 plus books uh, and, and 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 even more so in merchandise to willing paying customers and the vast, 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 vast majority of them were satisfied. That's all that matters. So I'd rather grow, grow that, continue to grow that as opposed to listening to some weirdos, not like me, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because, because they think that I'm not doing way, doing things the way that they suggest that I do. And that's my advice really to anybody that's out there. That's going to enter into any industry. When you see any level of success, you need to be prepared for weirdos to work in overdrive, especially if the odds are against you, right? People look at, unfortunately, like art and entertainment, you know, as something that leftists, people that are on the economic leftist spectrum, they think they own it. Like they think that's theirs and you don't have a right to exist in there. So they're going to work overdrive, right? They're going to work overdrive to, to to knock what it is that you do. And in some case they're going to try going to try to ruin you. And that will be there will be ugly things said about you. You got to stay on your game. Don't allow them to talk you out of that and just get out there and be great. That that's all that is that you have to do.
0: Well, I can I can relate to that. You know, sadly, uh even within objectivism, uh we are kind of the non-establishment brand of objectivism where the un-cola to the orthodox cola version of objectivism and the more successful we become the the bigger we grow on social media uh the more young people we attract unfortunately also we we get the name calling and all of that but um taking a page from your book i'll take it as a badge of honor now eric you seem to have lost your visual so just give take a look 15 to see.
1: Said. I'm back.
0: All right. Terrific. Sorry about that, y'all. <laughs> Connie <laughs> wants to know what's next for you. I saw him too, but I
1: got even more stuff uh, that's in the kind of deal. Cause let, let me say this, this opened me up to just an entirely new world where I can do stuff. That's not just pertaining to comics right? So, I mean, if it's books, novels, maybe I want to enter in that field, games, uh, (laughs) statues, toys, Mm -hmm. so many ideas that I get excited to talk about that we're working on right now. So, the next biggest thing is Ice Home 2. That's for sure next. And we have some other books with some (laughs) I think when we announce the names of the people that are tied to the other ones, people are going to freak out. Let me say that. So that's next. I sum two's next. It'll be part two of this arc. And then we'll go into part three sometime down the line, but we have two other books that have, that are in various parts of their production and I can't wait for people. I'm excited because once people see that stuff, I know folks are going to really like love what it is that we're doing. So Isom Two is next for for us. That should be maybe pre orders roll out in the next couple of months. It's hard to say. I don't know, but I, I, I'm excited. I'm stoked.
0: Well, we can tell that from all of these questions that a lot of your fans are uh, super stoked as well. Awesome. My modern galt on joining us on Instagram says, Eric. I don't know if everyone here knows about the counterculture growing against woke media. So, can you talk? about this a bit and he says p.s love when you join friday night tights
1: huh, awesome yeah so yes there is there i mean i know that some it's like out of sight out of mind kind of with some people but there is there's this fight that has been kind of happening battle that has been happening among so many people in like art and entertainment it's it's every industry that you can think of where you're starting to see people say all right enough is enough right You've watched people be ostracized, people lost their jobs. You know, I just covered this one story with this gaming company that, because they liked um, some, some like or followed people, let's say that are on the opposite end of the spectrum, they uh, they it was a snitch campaign that was essentially ran on this young lady, and she lost her job because of it with the gaming company. People are starting to say enough is enough, and it's a. Big battle happening in in uh, in like the, the where there, there is this kind of new kind of counterculture uh, movement that a lot of independent creators are giving it a shot and not just giving it a shot seeing a lot of success right so it, it's it's and it runs deep and it's awesome to see right to see that growth and to see so many people start to see success in comic books for example is awesome but i think we're on the brink of like this cultural kind of renaissance just, yeah i i, I really i really do believe that because the market is as thirsty as it's ever been and people are now more willing to try out new things than they have been in the past because of that when you are a legacy you can get away with slapping your customers in the face a couple of times right? <laughs> like you could do it a couple of times but as people you know start to like, be like, all right, man, I'm I'm tired of this. You're not really giving me reasons that I should even be uh, buying this product, investing in this product. And people are starting to be like, you know what? Enough is enough. And they're looking at alternatives. So that that gives you the opening right now. That's what the Ripperverse was. The Ripperverse was us filling a void that was in this industry. And there's so many other people that are are doing it, not just with comics, but we're starting to see a rise in other aspects as well. And I I think that we're going to see more in years, years to come. And who knows? Look, I talk about a parallel economy all the time. It may look different, man. Uh, Entertainment may look completely different than what it is now. But there's so many different problems that I think are being corrected because of it. Entertainment right now and entertainment industries are operating on a very old and archaic economic model that doesn't even make sense really anymore you know, even like the aspect of like crowdfunding changed the game completely now where people aren't having to depend on like massive publishers to even get their get their workout anymore. That's not even that's a thing of the past for some people. So it's just so many opportunities that just it wasn't there. And you're starting to see a, a growing like kind of counterculture of of, of not just customers, but creatives that are saying, you know what, I'm going to give the customers what it is they want. And it's very exciting to see.
0: All right. On Instagram, the Armstrong asks, when, where do you think that people need to push back the most against woke culture, comics, TV, movies, music? I guess another way to frame that, maybe where is sort of uh, the the gatekeepers, the woke culture, the intolerance, the worst in these different sectors?
1: I would say.
0: Because you're in all of them
1: yeah exactly i would say it's probably the worst when you start entering in the like tv and animation stuff it's probably the worst definitely when you start to get into some of these weirdos and the unions and all this stuff like and because of the expense it's maybe a little more difficult to mm, compete let's say if you are even going to enter into the counterculture but you know we all point to like gina carano as one of the like that was one of the more egregious examples uh you know this person who was star wars has been on i mean fumes anyway but they had one decent character that they had introduced that happened to be a uh, a female character and they threw it all away because well they didn't like where her politics were at right and i have, i've had the uh you know i've a dinner with uh Gina Carano i've uh, we we talked she's an awesome lovely person And obviously she didn't deserve that. She's not, let me say it's rough around the edges of somebody like me, some of the stuff I can handle. I'm like, all right, I deserve it. I talk a lot of mess. That's cool. But with people like that, like she's the last person that you would think something like that would happen to, but they did it. And we saw her basically be like almost like sacrificed uh, and made an example of by the entire industry to say, if you push back and we try to whip you in shape and you don't listen, this is what happens to you. And it's still talking noise. She's doing her own kind of thing right now. Um, you know, she had that new movie that 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 came out and she's doing her own thing. And I commend her efforts. But I would say when you see stuff like that happen, that's, that's probably what makes it worse. And I think it's more pertaining to the, the, again, the legacy stuff. Like it's, with comics, we were able to break that. And I think entertainment, or excuse me, TV and like movie, that industry needs that as well, where people are just more willing to just, consider other things. It also is a little bigger of an expense than like, let's say, making a comic book.
0: All right, Uh, Jackson Sinclair, Facebook. I think we answered your question about when Eric began to see his political identification Mm -hmm. change from um, more kind of standard left-wing Democrat to uh, libertarian capitalist Mm -hmm. over the time. Uh, DM Guardian, Twitter. How does it feel to see people already dressing up as characters from your comic before it came out?
1: That was, it's something that I don't know if I'm gonna ever be able to get used to. Not even, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I'm gonna ever be able to get used to it. That was crazy. Um, I went to, and it was right like it might have been the month before the Ripperverse actually launched. Um, and or yeah, there's the, it was the month that I think the month that it did launch or right before, I can't remember, Uh, but it was very close. And, you know, I saw, it was two. I was at Anime Mach Series. a big convention for more of the Japanese stuff, like, you know, manga and anime. Uh, But there's some American, uh, like, superhero stuff that that goes there. But I was there as a panelist for a couple of different panels, and I had my own booth there. Uh, And I first showed up, and I saw one, when I first walked in of, of Yaira, someone had, of course, the, both both of these young ladies dressed up as Yaira and Krista, who I know personally was one of them. Uh, I had no idea that she was doing that, though. It was uh, it was kind of I was like, what in the world is it? And they did phenomenal jobs. It's not like, you know, I, I had come up with something that they could purchase to buy the costume. No, they were making that stuff by hand. Uh, and it was amazing. It made me more appreciate the craft of like cosplaying, for example. Uh, But it's still something that I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to get. It's cool. Like I'm saying that in a good way. It's just that, uh, you know, you couldn't have asked me even three years ago. Like, hey, man, you're going to have you're going to create some characters that people are going to want to be dressing up as and stuff like that. And I would have been like, you're full of you're full of crap but (laughs) we see what happened it was an amazing feeling and a big shout out to both of those young ladies for doing a, a phenomenal job of dressing up with yaira
0: all right john mugabe socrates says i live in uganda africa where music moves and influences but mostly socialist ideas i think it will be great to learn more how we can integrate liberty ideas into music back here in Uganda. So,
1: yeah, there's uh I know that there is in certain pockets of Af- Africa you do have uh decent people that are like, you know, leading the charge kind of in 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 theory and 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 like liberty-based uh concepts. I know in South Africa there's a lot of uh uh fellow libertarians. In fact, one of the one of the people that I work with over there being libertarian uh, is actually from South Africa. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it, it's 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 look, sometimes we're in America and we can we we sometimes lose sight of the fact that a lot of the issues that we're dealing with even here, uh, other countries, other continents are dealing with the, with the same problem. You know what I mean? And they're just as ne- it's, it's often worse, you know, but. People that are trying to lead the charge in that change are, first of all, you're brave and bold people, but you're as necessary as we are here, you are there. Um, so I certainly would encourage you to, if that is your vehicle, music, um, Uganda, if it has a scene there, I would say go for it, uh, give it a shot. I mean, you just be surprised as how you can just convey that message so. Uh, easily as opposed to yeah there's certain people where that works right you can sit down with certain people and just have a conversation and they'll come out of that conversation thinking a little differently but it's just different with some people with you give them the music and they can bob their head to it and, and and listen to it that way I mean, it's just like I said earlier, it's just a communicative vice barrier. So if there are people out there in Uganda doing their thing or in Africa doing their thing, other pockets of Africa doing their thing, I, I would I love to see it. And I would love to put put even a spotlight on it if people are able to use that as their uh, vehicle for spreading liberty.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, you know, we are discovering that the animated videos, the Draw My Life videos that we do at the Outlaw Society, on average, they get about a million views in uh, the U.S., We started to do foreign translations and adaptations and a video that will get a million views here gets 7 million, 8 million views in the Middle East with a huge proportion of those views coming from North Africa. Mm. So sometimes you just got to experiment and put it out there and you'll be surprised uh, what is coming back and where that, that leads. So. Excited to see that we've got people from all over the world watching us today. We're also going to keep putting that link to uh, to buy Isom and pre-order Isom Book Two, so uh, we can we can keep this going. Uh, John Keel, no question. He just wants to say Rand said, as I said earlier, art is the indispensable medium for the communication of a moral ideal. Thanks to Eric for getting this done. Shout out. All right uh zach 157 on instagram asks was there any fear in the costs you paid up front you know because you took a lot of risks
1: Oh, baby uh yeah um yeah i mean it, it was a it wasn't a, a risk i mean that is putting it lightly um i saved it make no mistake and it was one of those things where man i put up Every time I was spending money, I was like, golly, man, this is racking up there. You know, I saved it, but you know, it is going up there and it could have went the other way. I mean, think about it for most businesses, that's how it, that's exactly how it goes, right? You know, yeah. you, you, you most small businesses don't succeed, yeah, exactly. So it's it's it could have just you know got burned. Well, I wouldn't say put on fire, but I could have lost it, I could have lost it. But you know, I think that's a testament to the the industry, the 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 market in itself. And certainly to this wonderful team that we have over at Ripperverse uh, Publishing that just put out a project that people absolutely wanted, as well as the, you know, a big part of our our, our thing was the word of mouth. You know what I mean? That was a that was a massive part of our. our we didn't spend, I didn't spend a dime on marketing, so that was what it was. It was on the backs of people out there making videos just regular people you know maybe they have big channels maybe they have small ones of course the people that you know someone brought up friday night tights earlier of course show big shows like that those guys are big time supporters of ourselves but there are also people that just had small smaller channels that you know we kind of got a little fandom that was getting started like you know that's what it's about and it's it's also we have to give a big thanks to those guys for making something like this happened because it could not have obviously happened without you guys i thank the customers so much but it could have went another way thankfully it didn't but man it was one it was i won't say nerve-wracking maybe that's not the proper term but again as i was getting up there in the hundreds of thousands i'm like golly man every every payment started to hurt like every every one of it but i believed in this and uh, again thanks to the customers for catching me
0: Did you have people around you that believed in you too? Or did you also have people that said, you know, this is crazy. You're going to fail. Well, I
1: mean, obviously my haters told me that it would never come out. You know what I mean? And in fact, I remember it was a little bit of both. We had, of course, a lot of supporters that were already baked into my audience uh, that were very stoked for this to happen. Um, And this isn't like my first creative project. You know, I am. I've been a musician. I've been a writer, ghost writer for over the years. So I built a rapport with my audience and I've never failed them in anything that, I, that I've done. I've delivered on it. That obviously uh, helps so much. But I remember just in keeping it independent, there were even people that were on my like our, our general side of it, not not enemies. Right. That were like, OK, you shouldn't have done it this way. Right. Like as in paying all that money to. Let's say have this big book. Why don't you have more of like the all oh, the 20 page with 15 pages of ads like the big two? Why did you do it like that? Why'd you do it like this? Is what they would what they would say. And even for example, we hosted the entire thing on our own website. You know, the entire thing was on our own website. I didn't go through other uh, like another company as hosting that. So that was, you know, a lot of money went to the website building and people insisted that that was a bad investment to do it. And like, for example, even in the, even though we technically didn't crowdfund per se, because we took the vision of what one looked like, a lot of folks suggested, why don't you just use Kickstarter or any Indiegogo, right? And now I think after making 3.7 million, I made the right decision because they get like a decent percentage of, of those. That's money that I could be using to reinvest. Now, if I'd have went through Indiegogo and made, let's say, 3.7 million, where well, they would have had their percentage of money that I just wouldn't have got back. Um, so it was um it was it was some um people the haters did what they did, but even with some of the people that were not haters, you know what I mean? Uh, and maybe they even meant meant good, they they thought what we were doing was risky and we should, should have maybe went a different route.
0: Now you talk about the music and the primary responsibility to create something that people enjoy that gets them moving that gets them smiling gets gets them thinking uh and then also of course with this product just something that's a quality product something that looks beautiful something that gets delivered something that has an exciting kind of page turning story um but like even Ayn Rand you know she did that with the fountainhead and Atlas Shrug those mm-hmm. are Books you you can't quite put down, but they did have themes. And uh, The Fountainhead is about the ideal man, a creator, artistic uh, creator who won't compromise his vision uh, for anybody, including for the the sake of the woman he loves. So it's really about integrity, artistic integrity, uh, and pursuit of excellence versus mediocrity, independence, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, also then taking that and projecting it on an even more sort of social and political scale in terms of capitalism, talking about envy um, and about creative people not um, allowing themselves to be sacrificed to others or guilted into feeling bad about their accomplishments. So with that said, you know, uh, can you point to any of the themes that you were either consciously unconsciously or even no. in retrospect working with in, in, uh, Eason.
1: Yeah. Like, so with, with the character of Avery Silman, obviously who is the main character, it's, it, there's a lot of influence obviously with my own kind of, uh, what I picked up over the years and, in in, in in of different like cultures, right? Like I'm not, it's not a self insert, right? So I don't live on my own, um, ranch or anything i'm thinking maybe it'd be cool but it's not anything that it is that i that i do and it, it was just like these concepts of uh, even like something is family like simple as like family and like that that was the driving narrative if you actually pay attention um to it which i think is important like the whole reason why i saw goals or avery goes into this city right? And, and uh, back into the city that he doesn't even like going back into is because of his sister, right? His own sister says, Hey, do this, do me a solid. And he does it. And you see with that, the own conflicts that he has, just like a regular uh, a human being would have in terms of he has his own pride that he has to deal with, uh, you know, in the main villain, like with Darren Fontano in the book, and he has his own pride, you know, that he's dealing with there. So, My whole point was I was trying to have that level of relatability with an individual character that pretty much any walk of life, if you value things that I, I deem as universal truths, you could get some from it. I hate that with comic books, we do this whole, not us, but you know this new representation thing where everybody feels like the only way that you can like a character is if they have the same skin tone or gender as you, which is stupid. Uh, that's nonsense. And that was the point with Isom in in how he was constructed as a character. He has flaws. He has other internal things it is that he's dealing with that kind of take him through this narrative of of this first book. Um, But he's a regular, like he can be seen as more of a regular person dealing with those types of issues that maybe you and I uh, are going to deal with in in inner conflicts. So that's what I was trying to make. I I was having relay with this character of, of Isom Uh, And you can call it conscious, whether it was conscious or unconscious, it was more that was the point, you know, it was to give a character that people could relate to, regardless of whatever walk of life uh, that they come from.
0: Well, uh, fantastic. And we're just about nearing the top of the hour. So, Eric, uh, I don't know if there was any question you wished I had asked or any other final thoughts or things that uh, the people should know about you or where they should follow you. Well, of
1: course, uh, Riververse.com, you can still get that that lovely cover C that you had uh, over there if you want to get in on it um, with ISOM 1. Uh, we, we're getting those orders out very fast. So basically, as soon as you order, we'll make sure that we get it out. Um, I can't wait for you guys to get it um, that haven't got in on it. And ISOM 2 will be coming out. We're thinking at the end of this first quarter of the year. Um, we'll see Um, but I think that's the that's the deal so people that hey I want to be able to support you it's no longer hey go buy uh, or go support a patreon or something like that just go get a book you know what I yeah. mean <laughs> go, go get a book we have something tangible that's yours you'll enjoy it I promise you and I just appreciate everybody that's out there that has given it a chance gave the book a chance uh, because this was a, a lifelong dream. and you've made, you've changed my life. These, all these customers have changed my life uh, for the better. And I'm just so appreciative of, of just everybody and their support, so.
0: Well, thank you. And you're, you are changing lives too. So everyone go out there, get, get this book, uh, follow Eric on Twitter, on YouTube and stay tuned because there are gonna be some really great things in store. So thank you. And thanks to everyone also who uh joined us today. All of the fantastic questions. As always, the Atlas Society is a nonprofit. So if you enjoy our work, if you enjoy these kinds of interviews, uh go and hit us up with a uh, tax-deductible donation at the Atlas Society, and also check out a few of our own graphic novels. And then be sure to tune in next week. Uh, I'm going to have the week off and our founder, David Kelly, will interview Atlas Society senior scholar Richard Salzman on a special episode of Scholars Ask Scholars. So thanks, everyone.